tonight I want to preach. I want to preach my Easter message early, early. So, so as you can tell from the video, it's uh, not just the video, but the the graphic. It's called Last Words. One of the coolest things that that I've always loved, especially in a film or even for like someone that you know, someone who's you know who's passed away, you've always heard their famous last words or like there's a certain phrase or certain words that someone spoke to you before maybe even a passing or when someone would move away whatever the case may be it was always there was always some type of famous last word that they would speak and tonight i want to speak on those two different things especially on the context of the cross i want to talk about jesus's famous last words the final words of jesus on the cross I have four of them, and they're very sobering statements that I believe that can really hit the heart if you really listen. This is a message that I believe if you listen to it properly, if you let your ears listen, you will be able to experience the statements that Jesus spoke in a whole new light. So I want to give you these four statements. The first statement I want to talk about is the statement, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. You know, we, there's a lot of people some of us don't like. And I've talked about this before. There's people that you're not as interested in or you're not the biggest fan of. And, and I've had that a lot in my life because I'm not, I, 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 my natural instinct is to love everybody and to be BFFs with everybody. But it's, there's always going to come in a point in time where you're going to have someone where you're just like, man, I, do, just don't, I don't want them living on my street. I don't want them living in the church. I don't want them coming to church. Like, those are the type of enemies that we, you know, all face. And Jesus had tons of enemies, even throughout his ministry, even from the Pharisees to all these different other people that didn't like Jesus. He made a bunch of enemies. But one of the funniest things that I've had to learn and that we can all learn from Christ is that the enemies that he was supposed to hate, supposed to go against, he actually died for. The enemies that Jesus was supposed to despise were the ones he was actually saving at the cross. Those types of enemies, the people that put him on the cross, he died for those people. As Christians, Jesus calls us to love the people who treat us poorly. While we know this truth in theory, practicing it can become incredibly difficult. Now, like I said, and I want to, and I want to make this clear, you don't have to be BFS with this human being. You don't have to be best friends forever with someone that drives you nuts or treats you like trash. But what I'm, but what I believe the reason why Jesus says to love your enemies is not just to love them just because. I think it's to love them to where you don't have a hateful or ill intent in your heart. I think that's why he tells us to love our enemies. Because if we hate our enemies, it's not for them, it's for you. Because there's no ill intent in them, it's an ill intent in you. It's a hateful heart in you. That's why he tells us to love our enemies. Not because, because we have to stuff what they did and get over it. No, 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 no. He's saying, I don't want you in my kingdom with a hateful heart. So he tells us, Love your enemies, not in the way that you think the world treats love, because love is a feeling type thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a feeling where it's like if they make me happy or they make me excited or this and that. But Jesus is saying to love your enemies beyond that, not in a relationship standpoint, but in a way that you don't hate people. 
that you don't have to despise other people. Because when you despise, it's not for them, it's for you. It's for your own heart. It's for your own soul. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's not just talking about to become friends with them. He really means don't have hate in your heart. Don't have a hateful intention within your soul. So Jesus is on the cross, right? He's dying for the sins. He's dying for the sins of the world. And Luke 23, 34 says this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The first thing the Lord said on the cross was intercession to God on their behalf. So he didn't just love the people that put him on the cross. He was literally interceding for those people that put him on the cross. How stupid does that sound? You are inner, you're not just loving them. You're literally speaking to God on their behalf, even though they're acting the fool and they're killing you and they're despising you. He's basically interceding, telling them, don't forgive them, Lord, because they don't know any better. Jesus is basically in a moment where he's, it's a, it's a perspective shift. It's not just, it's not just a command. Jesus saw something. He didn't tell the father to forgive them because they did something good. He said, father, forgive them because they don't know any better. They don't know any better. So the perspective shift changes and it's a hard perspective to have because of how you view it right now through a filter. If you view people that have treated you poorly through the filter of father punish them, instead of looking at it through father forgive them because there must be a reason why they did it or they just don't know what they're doing, that's the type of perspective shift we need to have. Because if we look at it from what they've done to me, now don't dismiss what they've done to you, but to grow and to not stay in a state where you have, where you have hate in your heart towards that person who treated you poorly. It's not just talking about loving that enemy out of a, out of a lovey-dovey thing. It's not a BFF thing. It's for you to have a true love that doesn't have hate in it. And that's where Jesus is making this, this perspective shift. He's talking about, he's basically talking about interceding for them and he's not having a hateful intention. Jesus could have easily said, Father, punish them for they are being stupid. Father, punish them, for they are killing your son. Father, punish them, for they love themselves. But he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Loving your enemies doesn't mean that you have to be all up in their grill and in their life. This means that you should not have hate in your heart because it knocks you off course and it makes you miserable. It makes you miserable. Instead of that person you think is feeling miserable, you're really the one in the miserable state because you're so focused on what they did. But Jesus says, no, let me look at it as like, Lord, they did not know what they were doing. And if they did, there was a reason that I know that you know, forgive them as you have forgiven me. Jesus tells us to love our enemies that way. 
Trying your best to be kind to unkind people is one thing, but Jesus goes the extra mile. He begs God to forgive them because they were ignorant of what they were truly doing. This is the kind of love that we see only in Jesus. Loving your enemies is not just something you say. It's an initial act of surrender and love to Jesus. That's what it is. And the bottom line is Jesus loved his enemies when he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This was even a prophecy. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. He interceded for the people who hated and killed him. He interceded. And here's the, here's the, here's the tricky part. Because people make the parallel. It wasn't just the people that, it's not just the Roman guards that put Jesus on the cross. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. So by theory, I truly believe that God intercedes for you and me for the Lord to tell him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Because we've all, y'all, you've messed up. We've all messed up. We all have glitches. We all have sin. But the funny thing is, is that Jesus still died even though he still went up on that cross, even though, even though you would make the stupid mistake, even though you made the sinful act, even though he still died. He still did it. And it, it makes you think of a love because it's like, because you would die for a friend if they were good to you. You would die for a friend if they treated you correctly. And it's human nature, and it's the right, and it's the regular thing to do, and it makes sense. But Jesus took it a step further and said, you know what? I'm going to die for them even though they don't choose me. How unbelievable is that? That he forgave us even though we still do the dumb stuff. Even though we still make the mistake. Even though we still fall. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Point number two, the second phrase, the second last word that Jesus said was, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, do not fear, do you not fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. It, it's funny to me because the dude has lived a criminal life all his life. And it's like, oh, Jacob, I'm not a criminal. How can I relate to a thief on the cross? I'm not a criminal. No, you're not a criminal. 110% you're not a criminal. But you manipulate. You lie. 
You hurt others. You've done this and you've done that. We've all done something. Not to the point of being a criminal, but all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Sin literally means missing the mark. You've worried. You've, you've, you've not trust God before. For the majority of what we do, we don't trust God a lot of the time. And the funny thing is, is that we are like, oh, so even the, you know, the thief and, 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 you know, God can easily forgive me. No, 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 no. Just as he forgave the thief, the, forgiving the thief was just as easy as forgiving your little white lie. Sin to God, he can forgive any of it. Theologically, he can forgive any sin. Unless you're willing to come to the Father and confess that sin. Because here's the problem. We forget to confess. We think that just sinning and then thinking that God's still with me, it's very, very hard because sin, God is not near sin. So when you commit sin, because here's the deal. This is a myth I want to break. You can't just automatically just fall into sin. You can't just accidentally sin. Sin in the context is premeditated. This means I don't care what people think. I don't care what God thinks. I'm going to do it anyways because I like it. That's what sin is. Now, sin can come from the, sin's the root, but then comes out dysfunctions where you don't even mean it, but it happens. Why? Because it comes, the root, sin. Sin is the root of most of our problems. Sin is premeditated. Because, because like when you hear like premeditated murder or like it was, you know, it was premeditated before someone killed somebody. It's the same thing with sin. There's a thought that happens and then we feel it and we're like, I really want to do this. And then we do the act. You think, you feel, then you do. So before you ever do the sin, you think about the sin. No, no, no. Before you do the sin, you feel the sin. And then when you feel the sin, before you feel the sin, you think it. It's a whole process, y'all. Because the one thing that we'll never, we will have on this earth until Christ returns, or we go with him, is we're going to have a sin machine operating in our life. Because you were born with the sin nature. You were born with that. But the beautiful part is when you're in Christ, it gets shut down. But now you have the choice because sin is still alive and active in this world. You now have the choice to choose sin or the Holy Spirit. You have the choice to keep that machine shut off or turn that machine back on. You have that choice. I don't care what type of, oh, the excuse that we make in order to not change We have to stop making the excuse and change. We have to make the effort. We have to make the effort. Because we're waiting on God to do something that the Holy Spirit already gave us the ability to overcome. We're waiting on God. We're praying on God to release us of this sin. But he has given you the choice. He has given you the choice to overcome that sin. He's given that to you. But like the criminal... The criminal did it all his life. He was evil all his life. And it wasn't until he was on that cross and he saw the kingdom that Jesus was about to enter in. And he was like, you know what? 
remember me. He didn't say, he didn't say, oh, Lord, even like, I, you know, I've done some good things, even though I was a criminal. You know, I did a couple of things that were right. He didn't mention anything he did good. He didn't mention anything that he did bad. He said, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. And Jesus told him, today you will be with me. Today. That's the power of the confession of believing in Jesus. The belief. Because it doesn't start with your behavioral change. It doesn't start with a mindset change. It starts with a heart change. Your heart needs to change before your mind changes and before your behavior changes. Your heart needs to change. Because the Bible says, whatever's in a man's heart, so is he. So if your behavior is trash, you have to look at your heart. You have to look at your heart. The Bible says that the heart is wicked above all else. Who can trust it? Who can understand it? In Christ, we get a new heart, Jeremiah says. But the problem is, is that there's still a piece of that wicked heart that tries to operate. And it tries to, it tries to fuel certain things that we're not supposed to really jump back into, but we jump back into it because we like it. But Jesus, like I said, still died, even though, even though you sinned, even though you still won't choose him, even though he died. And he still gives the opportunity. So, he still gives the opportunity, and he tells the criminal, you will see me in paradise. But what I want to encourage you with is don't wait till the last minute where you're about to leave and you accept Christ. Because there is a life that God wants you to live that he would rather you pick him now than pick him when you die. Don't wait till the last minute in order to choose Christ. Don't wait till the last minute. Choose him now. You can be in church all your life and never be saved. You can be churched. You can be reading your Bible and never be sure that you're saved. It's a scary place to be. Why? Because we need to ask Christ, just like the criminal, Christ, remember me. Remember me. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is a gift from God that we can't earn. God is still offering this gift. And what I want to encourage you with tonight, you're not too far gone for him to choose you. You're not too far gone for you to accept Christ tonight. Not just next week, not just the day after. You have every single moment of every day to choose Christ. You are not too far gone. You're not too far gone. At the very last moment of his life, the thief professed his faith in Christ as Lord. He identified his sinfulness, acknowledged Jesus as Lord, and Jesus responded with a powerful promise. Today you will be with me in paradise. 
Here's the beautiful exchange, y'all. He gave the criminal paradise while he took the prison of hell in that moment. He made an exchange with the criminal and basically told him, you're going to take that spot. And that's for everyone in this room. Jesus took your spot in the prisons of hell, in the depths of, in order for you to be in that spot in paradise. He took that. But the question is, is are you willing to make that life for Christ for you to make it to paradise? It's not just... Here's the, fun, here's, the, here's the blunt thing. Here's the blunt part. It, you can't say you believe in Jesus and your lifestyle says different. It doesn't coexist together. It doesn't work together. If your life is in Christ, but yet the stuff you do is outside of what God wants for you, it's not the same. They can't coexist. So we have to understand with this exchange, Jesus wants you to know this. Jesus can still save you. He can still save you. Third, last word. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think we, uh, for a lot of us, we have a lot of close friends and I have a circle of three. I have a circle of three. And, um, and, one of them calls me spontaneously and I'm like, bro, you need to stop calling me like every like 30, like 10 days at a time. It's ridiculous. But I also, I also have another friend that I meet on, uh, on Fridays and we meet for a little Bible study early in the morning. And he, we, we, we usually read the word together. We'll study together and then we'll pray together. But, but you know, we'll confess our sins to one another and, and, there's stuff that I've been through that he's already been through. And it was kind of hilarious because I'm like, yeah, bro, but now that that capacity, I don't think you've understood from that velocity of how much I've dealt with. And the dude was like, no, I know exactly what you're going through. That's the exact same stuff. You, you were living the exact same life that I was. And nothing is far more beautiful and a lot more encouraging when you have someone like that who's willing to understand you, not just from a sympathetic part, but they understand everything of what you've gone through. They understand everything of what you've gone through. Jesus is the exact same way, and I'm going to prove it to you. In the scripture where he's basically, it's, it's at noon, Matthew 27, verse 45. At noon, darkness, fall, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. About 3 o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama satabatni, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So let me give you a little bit of context. Darkness fell over the land, and Jesus was silent for three hours. He didn't say anything for those three hours until it hit noon. The first words he spoke out in silence was, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is a perfect and holy God. We are sinful and broken people. God is loving, but he also is just. God can't compromise his own holiness and glory with sin. So sin had to be accounted for. Sin had to be atoned for. Scripture shows us that Jesus took the entirety of sin and the weight of the world's curse as a sacrifice to make us right with God. Think about it. 
Every sin that you've committed and the ones you're going to commit in the future, even your dad, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, from the beginning of time until the world ends, Jesus carried every single weight of sin. Every single weight. Every single thing that you've ever done that you felt so shameful for, you know how he condemns you that badly? Jesus had every single weight of it on his shoulders. And it was in that moment when he was carrying every single human being's sin of the world on his shoulders, that's when God had to forsake. Because God is not involved in sin. So he had to walk away from Christ. And Christ said, why have you abandoned me? There was this one guy that had a story. He was, he was dreaming one time. And he was dreaming about being in hell. And it was a very scary experience. And he said, he said, man, the darkness where I was at wasn't the thing that messed me up. It wasn't the, the nasty chambers of the prison that messed me up. It wasn't the rats trying to eat me alive in the dream. It wasn't the wrists that were being lacerated from the, from the handcuffs. It wasn't the pain. It wasn't none of that. It wasn't any of the excruciating pain. It was, it was that God was not there. That's what messed him up. It wasn't the pain of hell. It wasn't the pain of all the stuff he was experiencing in the dream. It was the void of God not being there. It was the pain of knowing that God was not present. Think about that. All the, the presence of people is warm, is warming. Like for me as a Christian, the presence of God is so powerful and it's so, it's so tangible and it's so loving and it's so, it's so incredible. Imagine that not being there. Imagine feeling so hopeless and so forgotten, not just by people, but by God himself. Imagine that. That's what Jesus experienced. That's why he said out of those three hours of silence, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands when I say what you're going through. And if you don't believe me, read that part again and understand the context behind why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus doesn't really understand me. He's too holy. He literally had the spirit of God forsaken from him. Even though he was fully man, he was fully God. And in that moment, he was just fully man. God stripped himself from him because he was in so much sin, because he was finishing the work. And he said it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sad part is, is that we live our lives thinking, that that void part, that doesn't bother us. Even for some of us that do know that if we don't get saved, if we're not living for Christ, that if we end up in that same place that Jesus was, sometimes that just passes our brain because we go on through life and we walk through life like everything's all right. But in all reality, Jesus is experiencing something that we should have experienced. And the beautiful thing is, is that he understands the pain and the, ex, the traumatic experiences that you've ever gone through, ever. 
the stuff that you've talked about in life group, the stuff that you haven't talked to anyone about, the things that you don't even say in church. Jesus understands. He understands the pain. He understands the traumatic events that have happened to you. And if you don't believe me, you read Matthew. And it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt voidless. He felt something that some of us aren't even experiencing. And if you're not saved, you will experience that. He experienced being separated, not just from people, not just from it, but it was just him. God was nowhere near. He understands. I don't know how much I have to push that because some of us don't believe that because we think we're on our own. But Jesus was on his own worse than we were. And he understands the pain that we've experienced. It's his fame, one of his famous last words. God forsaken him so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken. That's why he did it. Jesus identifies with our grief. And the fourth and final one is it is finished. It is finished. John 19, 28 through 30 says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. And the jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch. And he held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' final words on the cross carry incredible significance for us today. The prophets of the Old Testament have been prophesying about the coming Messiah for ages. The Jewish people knew through the law that they were sinful people in need of a savior. The only way that they were able to find redemption and life was if our sin was atoned for, which means if our sin was erased. For this reason, Jesus came to die as our sinless sacrifice. He bore the weight of our sin and he knew exactly what he was here to do. I don't think y'all understand the power of that phrase, it is finished. What that meant was that he finished a work that would save generations. He basically said something that was going to impact not just the people of that time, but for all of us in this room today. He did something that none of us had the guts to do because none of us have lived that sinless life. We've all fallen short, but Jesus was the spotless lamb. In the, in the Old Testament, what they would do to, to atone for their sins is that they would take a sacrifice, which was a ram or or a goat or a lamb or whatever it was, and they would bring it up to the altar to the priest. And if the, if the animal had any type of pluck or any type of scratch, it, it, it wasn't set. It wouldn't work. It wasn't going to work. The thing that he needed to do, the thing that was supposed to happen was they needed something that was going to be completely spotless. If that lamb had a pluck or a cut, it wasn't going to work. That's why Jesus was called the spotless lamb. That's why he was called the spotless lamb. Because with salvation, it's like bringing Jesus, who is the lamb, and you bring it up to the altar. And Jesus and the Lord's the priest, and he doesn't see you. He doesn't see the dumb stuff you've done. 
He doesn't see the stupid stuff that you do on a regular basis. He doesn't see the sinful acts that you have done. He sees the spotless lamb, which is Jesus. He who was no sin, he who knew no sin became sin so that we can be the righteousness of Christ. He, it's basically like this. You give him the lamb and he says you're good. And he says you're set. That's what Christ is. Justification. This means, justification means you're justified as if you've never sinned. That means your sins are washed. And that's what the it is finished means. It means that there's no second coming, there's no third coming, fourth coming, fifth coming of Christ. He doesn't have to do anything else. He had to do it one time and he finished it. Jesus had to do it one time and it was over. He did it one time. And boom, it was done. It is finished. It's over. He set and made the way. So the question tonight is, are you really saved? Are you really saved? Because... I will never forget that phrase of what Ms. Gill told Pastor Brandon. She told him, hey, do you know where you're going? And he said, I don't know. She said, if you don't know, you're probably going to the wrong place. And that's, that stepped with me because it really makes you understand, do I know where I'm going? What's the assurance of where you're going? His last words were meant for you and me. Jesus' last breathing words on this earth, his famous last words, have impacted generations. But the question is, are you willing to accept Christ for real as your personal Lord and Savior? I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how long you think you've believed in Jesus. Because everybody can call themselves a Christian. Everybody can do it. But it's not until you really devote your life to Christ and you walk away from all the sinful things that that you've been living in, and that you walk in that road of freedom through those very last words that Jesus spoke. Those were Jesus' very last words. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus' last words were very, very powerful. His last words would be the ultimate package in order to convince those people. And it's the, it's the recordings of all four Gospels that showed that Jesus meant business when he went to the cross. He didn't just fluff around with it. He didn't mess with it. He didn't juggle with it. He knew what his mission was. His mission was to save you and me. That was his mission. Some of us in this room, we've been going to church a very long time. For some of us, we just got into this whole shindig of of Jesus. And the question tonight, if you're willing for it, are you, do you know where you're going to end up if you had your last word? If your last words were tonight, if your last words were tomorrow, 
where would you end up? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I want you to take this opportunity to meet with God himself in this moment. And I want you to ask God to be your personal Lord and Savior. If you need to rededicate, do it. It's very simple. It's you acknowledging that he is Christ. It's also acknowledging that you that you sin and that you were once a sinner. It's also acknowledging that he died and rose again for your sins. And it's acknowledging that you believe in him. It's very easy. I want to take just a moment for you to ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior in this moment. It's not just a pretty prayer. Romans 12, 1 through 2, talks about that, not being transformed to the patterns of this world. Living your life as a holy sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. Take a moment to tell Christ, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior tonight. I've lived my life too much for me anymore. I need you in my life. I need you to tell me what to do. I need you to guide me on the right path. I don't want to live in this lifestyle anymore. It's it's not even as satisfying anymore. It's making me feel sick. I need to choose you tonight. I want to choose you tonight. Ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. come before you in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your famous famous last words. Thank you for the illustration you put on the cross. That you carried every single mistake, every single sin, every single mess up from my life. Not just, but Lord, even personally for me. Thank you. That I pray that we don't take your last words for granted. That you didn't do it for nothing. Father, I ask, Lord, that tonight it's not just a one simple prayer, Lord God. I pray that our lives and our hearts are being transformed tonight. I pray that this becomes a heart change. That this is not just some type of, oh, I'm praying and now I got my ticket. Father, I pray, Lord, that the students in this room become thirsty for your word, thirsty to know you more, thirsty to live for you, Lord God, to know you more, Lord, to know how much you love them. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give them a thirst for that, that you would give them the power to do that. Lord, that they would not just do it for somebody else, Lord, but that they would seek you for themselves that it's for them that you have died in order for us to experience new life and to go 
and take that exchange. You paid the price for us and we thank you in this moment. We thank you for the price that you paid. That we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about losing it. We don't have to worry about not just walking away, Lord. We know that you have made us justified to those in here, Lord, that that have accepted you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray, Lord, that you help them understand that it's over with, that it is finished, that you have washed their sins clean, and that they are created in you, Christ. A new creation. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for those last words that we get to experience that and see how impactful you were. Father, I ask, Lord, that we apply these things, Lord, that we remember what you've done in the Gospels, Lord God, that the good news is that you paid the price for what we should have paid for, and you gave us new life. I pray that we would have the boldness to tell other people about it. I pray that we would have the boldness to tell our friends about what you've done for us, what you've done for me, what you've done for every student in this room. I pray that we would have the tenacity to push through and say, look what Jesus did for me. He died for me. He loved me that much that he was willing to stay up on a cross to illustrate his love for me. He was willing to do that. He didn't have to do that. He was willing to. Thank you, Jesus, for the illustration. last words thank you Lord for what you're doing tonight I pray that this falls on good soil Lord God Lord that it goes into their hearts and that they get to apply it to their everyday life we praise you we love you and we thank you it's in Jesus name